the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. You ready to head out on a minefield? Well, I love that you're having a Sunday morning sermon about dating. I don't think I've ever come across a church before who has dedicated a regular Sunday morning sermon to the topic of dating. It's almost as if someone behind the scenes thinks that dating is perhaps not just a niche activity for 20-somethings, but maybe something that has uh, a wider impact. Not only might there be people of different ages and different life experiences trying to work dating out, but maybe the dating culture is not just something that's created by the single people but something that we all actually have a stake in and a responsibility to. And hopefully, by the end of this morning, we might have some idea of of what that might be. But I want to clear up a couple of misconceptions as we set out together. First, it's important that you know that I am not here this morning because I was great at dating. I actually think I was fairly clueless. Uh, probably overly idealistic, fairly insecure, a bit all or nothing. Also, I've been married now for 13 years, so in many ways I'm completely out of touch with the dating scene. Um, And so it's important that you know that at the outset. Secondly, we have just read a famous passage about Adam and Eve, the creation of um, Eve, If you're thinking for a moment that I'm going to use that as a template to talk about how we date, you are also mistaken. I will not be suggesting nudity in any form, uh, or even creating your own partner out of spare body parts. In fact, I want to suggest that the Bible is fairly useless when it comes to dating advice. That isn't what it was written for. And the process by which people decided in the cultures and the times in which the Bible, uh, different parts of the Bible were written, the cultures did not have this concept of dating. The process by which people decided who to marry was very different to how we go about it today. Dating is a pretty alien concept in the Bible. And then even if it had contained dating advice, it would probably feel very out of date for us. Because to make the challenge even greater, we also need to be honest about the culture that we live in now and some of the really toxic influences on dating culture at this point in history. We could maybe, between us, create a very long list of the things that make dating in a healthy way really hard at the moment. But to start us off, there is the hypersexualization of everything in our culture, from kids' clothing to 90% of the imagery in advertising, which is blasted at us 24-7. There is the huge growth in the porn industry. Do you know the average age for a child to first encounter porn, probably on a, a friend's phone, is 9 or 10? Porn normalizes all kinds of violent and misogynistic practices, creating a totally false sense of what sex is, making real relationships far harder to navigate, and also trapping people in addiction. And I'm not going to talk a lot about porn today. I know that that's something that you guys are going to give some more attention to at another point. But it has an impact on dating culture. Then there's the culture of sending nudes, whereby young people, mostly girls, 
are expected to take and send sexualized photos of themselves to others, which are routinely passed around, shared, and ultimately used to shame them. And the boundaries for sexual identities, sexual behaviors are being reimagined in our culture and redrawn all the time. No wonder it is hard for us to find our way. So we might ask, what are we doing trying to glean wisdom from an ancient text, which isn't even interested in the question of dating, to speak to these complicated and toxic dilemmas? Well, the truth is that we also, at the same time as all of that being true, we also believe in a God who is invested in our lives and who cares about our choices and our relationships. And we live in a part of the world where marriages are not arranged or compulsory. And so we are left in this space in which we have to decide what attracts us, what it is that we value in people. We have this space in which to explore and get to know people and even make mistakes and to work out whether or not we want to marry and what kind of person if we do want to marry and, and to have some of our rough and sharp edges rubbed off us in community and in relationship with others. And dating is part of the process by which we do a lot of that. So it's ever-changing, it's complicated, it's confusing, but it isn't going anywhere. It offers us this crucial process of learning intimacy. It's not the only way we can learn intimacy, but it is an important way in which we learn intimacy. Emotional, spiritual, physical, mental. Getting to know someone and letting them know us. But scripture doesn't tell us how, so what do we do? What I want to suggest that whilst scripture doesn't give us advice or rules or boundaries which would be helpful but might quite quickly feel out of date, as we go back to the story of scripture, that has a lot to tell us about how we form relationships. So Genesis 1 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We are created in the image and likeness of God. And what does that mean? Theologians have wrestled with that for centuries. What does it mean that we are made in the image and likeness of God? We could turn to scientists and get them to list all the ways in which we as a species are different from other species on Earth. There's loads of ways to approach it. But what I want to hone in on today is one crucial dimension of what it means to be made in the image of God. And that is to say that God's very essence is relational. So to be made in the image of God is to be made for relationship. Just in these verses, it's really strong. God says, let us make mankind in our image. And that language of us, the royal we perhaps, should remind us that God is Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in eternal self-giving relationship. At the start of Genesis 1, it says that the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. 
John harks back to the creation narrative at the start of his gospel, telling us the word was with God and the word was God. This mind-boggling idea of God, the Trinity, is such a powerful image of relationship. You might have heard of the term perichoresis, which was developed by some of the church fathers, which is this idea of the Trinity in an eternal, loving, self-giving dance. It's the ultimate long-term relationship. The relationship at the heart of God is always moving, interacting. It isn't static, it isn't still, it hasn't run out of things to say to one another. And then we move into the account in Genesis 2 of the creation of Eve. It isn't good for the man to be alone, says God. And so he creates a helper for Adam. Aloneness is not our destiny. It is no one's destiny. It is wired into us to need others. And in this account, God creates Eve, not because the man has needs and so he needs a sexual partner. It's far bigger than that. And I'm not extrapolating from this that at our core we are people who need to have a life partner. But what I do take from it is that it is not good for us to be alone. God creates us out of his ever generous love and desire for relationship with others. And God creates more than one human because anything made in God's image is made for relationships. And now as a therapist working a lot with teenagers, I'm often in conversation with them about why it is so hard to talk to others about what's difficult to ask for help when they're struggling. And one of the, the key things that we always come back to um, is this message that many of them have uh, taken in, which is that I should be able to manage on my own. Whatever is going on, I should be able to manage on my own. And I have that. I, I, somewhere deep in me, I have that belief. And I'm imagining that a number of you feel like when it comes to it, I should be able to cope with life on my own. There's this myth that almost the kind of most evolved um, version of being a human, the most mature, the most developed, the most um, yeah, highly evolved is one who is self-sufficient, who doesn't need other people, who is able to just manage and cope with everything that life throws them on their own. And I think that is a lie. Even if I didn't hold to scripture, which I think tells us that we are made for relationship with God and with each other. We actually know a lot about how our brains work from what science has discovered in the last decades. So in the last 40 to 50 years, we've had MRIs, we've been able to look at brains in a way that we have never historically been able to see what goes on in a brain. And one of the amazing things that we have discovered through scanning brains during different kinds of human activities and interactions is that when we are connected with other people, when we are talking to other people, when we're engaged in relationship with other people, our brains light up. Our brains make new connections. They are working at their optimum capacity. They are making new neural pathways, which is to say learning new behaviours, encountering new ideas. They're able to grow and change and develop and heal in ways that they can't when we are isolated. We, can, we now know the science that shows us 
We need other people to be our best versions of ourselves. None of us are made to be alone. And we are made in the image of this relational God. And so, of course, we want to look to God to work out what it means to do relationship. How does God do relationship? What can we learn from that? Well, here are a few things that seem to me really obvious about how God is in relationships. God is unafraid of intimacy and closeness. The psalmist tells us, you have searched me, oh God, and you know me. And God is so eager to be known fully and not to be misunderstood and not to be held at a distance that we have this amazing story of the incarnation where God becomes a human because he wants to be seen and known that closely. He doesn't want his worst habits to be hidden away from us. He comes as a baby. He comes and has to sleep and eat and use whatever the Palestinian first century equivalent of a toilet was. This is how much God is unafraid of being seen close up. And Jesus wasn't a loner when he was down here, was he? He was really proactive in building relationships and friendships. Sure, he didn't date, but he wasn't the stereotypical male who held himself back or who didn't talk about feelings. And I think that's a beautiful and a really important image of of masculinity in relationship that Jesus gives us, a willingness to be seen and known. God is faithful in relationships. The whole Bible tells us this amazing story of God's faithfulness to mankind in the face of our apathy, our rebellion, our disobedience, our selfishness, our ignorance, our laziness. God is completely faithful and trustworthy in the context of that. 1 Corinthians 13, of course, describes perfect love to us. And it's really a description of what God is like in relationships. And we hold to these kinds of relationships, not just in our dating context, but whether we are growing friendships that you've talked about, whether we're talking about marriages that you talked about last week, whether we are single and building, you know, team relationships, friendships, whether we are parenting, we hold each other to these kinds of relationships, don't we? And they also dictate how we build relationships out of the church with people who aren't part of our community. But these kinds of relationships are not the kind of thing that happen passively or just naturally without effort by just following what everybody else is doing and being like everybody else. Being God's people asks more of us than that. Paul uses the metaphor of the body you probably remember in a number of his letters, to remind us that our health as believers is intimately connected to the health of everybody else in the church body. It's very hard for a little finger to remain healthy in a body that is riddled with disease. And as we start to think more specifically about dating, which often feels like it's only about two people, I think we need to start by thinking about it in the context of our wider relationships. Because how healthy our dating relationships are has everything to do with how healthy our other relationships are, specifically our friendships, our marriages, our intergenerational relationships. How much we are all helping one another to become like Jesus is the biggest dimension when it comes to any relationship. 
So let me speak for a moment about specifically about intergenerational relationships. Now, I don't know your church community. I have no idea how well or how terribly you do intergenerational relationships. But whatever your age, are you drawing on the wisdom of older people? Whether you are 14, 19, 25, 39, 49, 59, 69, every younger generation is tempted to feel that older people cannot relate to their culture and their experience. And it is true. A 40-something like me, there is something that I am never going to understand about the culture of sending nudes or all kinds of things that are going on in contemporary dating culture. Of course, dating practices are wildly different now to how they were 50 years ago. But relationships and intimacy, they have always been part of our experience as humans. And perhaps someone who spent 30 years cultivating a growing intimacy with their friends or with a partner has some perspective and maybe some insight and maybe even some wisdom. Are we allowing our exclusive dating relationships to be nurtured and supported and challenged by others? And there's a challenge there to those of us who are maybe older and not in that season of life. Are we proactively making the relationships with people who are dating? Do they know that we are available to them to support them and to help them? I'm not saying everybody in the church has a right to speak into your dating relationship but are there one or two other people that you trust? And at least one who is significantly older than you? If you're dating and trying to work out where your boundaries should be physically and wondering how you connect with someone spiritually or recognising that talking about emotions is really hard for the two of you or harder for one person than the other, or someone's past experiences are having a really big impact on your relationships. These are the kinds of things to talk about with somebody else, with somebody older, maybe another couple. Dilemmas and difficulties multiply in secrecy. But when they are brought into the light, into loving, supportive, prayerful relationships, they can grow, they can heal And if you want to bring your dating relationships under God's loving leadership, which isn't a question I can answer for you, but if you do, then part of that is about bringing them into community and not keeping them secret. So there are many specifics that we could address as we talk about dating. And we've got some time this afternoon, I know with the younger adults, to think about some some of the maybe knottier issues. But let's start with some important reflections, maybe some pillars that we can take with us as we think about this issue. I think one of the biggest risks as we approach the topic of dating through the lens of the story of scripture and this knowledge of how beautifully and faithfully God does relationships is that we can become paralysed by idealism. This vision of perfect patience, faithfulness, love, sacrifice, holiness feels very far away from the frankly messy and complicated world of dating and we can struggle to hold them together which leaves us either stranded in our idealism and maybe alone or feeling like they belong in different universes and so we just get on with dating without really reference to the pattern of relationship God gives us. 
I was desperately idealistic as a young person. And I was also fed a diet of stories of idealised relationships. So in the church I grew up with, there were all these stories about how people would meet and just know that they were destined to be together. The Holy Spirit would just tell them and they knew. And so there was no mess. There was no doubt. There was no heartbreak or disappointment or rejection ever. There was no confusion, just a beautifully spiritualised story of how to do it. And so I vowed, age 15, that I would not go out with anyone unless I knew I would marry them. They followed many years of singleness. (laughs) And I'm sure many of you have come across similar accounts. I did get to the stage where I realised it might not be that clear, that there might be something important in the process of working things out and being willing to risk failure. And I think this is something really important about dating, which is that it involves risk. And in some sense, failure. There is no way to do it without risk. It is a risk to tell someone you like them. It is a risk to go for a drink with them. It is a risk to choose one person over another, even for a short while. It's a risk to be vulnerable with someone. It's a risk to begin to imagine a future with them. All of those things might end in disappointment, rejection, even heartbreak. And this is something surely that God understands. God reaches out to all of us constantly. God experiences profound rejection every day and even heartbreak. If you imagine all that God has to see, all the terrible choices, all the rejection that God encounters every day. But God does not shut down. God does not shut off. God does not make himself unavailable. And it's probably worth saying here as well that broadly speaking, and this isn't true you know, of every individual case, but broadly speaking... Research shows that men are more wired to take risks than women generally. So the risk-taking part of the dating relationship is probably something that's going to come a bit more readily and a bit more easily. Not to every man, but to men broadly. Women, broadly speaking, invest more emotionally more easily. Again, please don't be put off by the broad stereotypes I'm doing. This is kind of very broad brushstrokes. Um... But I think it's worth bearing in mind that the risk part is going to feel harder, broadly speaking, to women. And the willingness to invest emotionally and open up emotionally is going to feel harder for men. Ending relationships is probably going to feel easier for men than it is for women. Those are things that we need to hold some awareness of and some sensitivity to. And then in community, we can therefore help one another to manage and to to kind of work out with kindness. God is always the one who reaches out and takes risks to pursue greater intimacy. Are we those people? God risks rejection. Do we? God experiences heartbreak and rejection but does not withdraw from community and does not hide. Do we? God is willing to be seen and known. Are we? 
If I could go back in time and give myself some dating advice, I think this would be really important for me. Because no one can compete with how perfect and wonderful and loving God is. But the world that we have been asked to participate in and live in is one where we will get things wrong and mess some things up and hopefully grow and learn in the process. But dating is not something to get right or wrong. It is an invitation to explore relationship, to know someone more deeply and to be known more deeply. And as we grow to know someone better, often our feelings change in all kinds of unexpected ways. And dating is making a space for those deeper relationships. It's a dance, maybe like the Trinity illustrates to us. It is risky, but it's one that can lead to somewhere really precious. I think the risks that are tied up with dating often feel incredibly hard because the rejection that we can face is so personal. It can erode our sense of who we are whether we believe ourselves to be lovable or desirable. And if we're honest, I think most of us do bring these really huge questions to romantic relationships. If no one fancies me, am I in fact completely undesirable? If no one wants to be with me right now, is it because I'm not a lovable person? These questions are far too big to bring to another person. These are questions that only God can answer and does and that we have to allow God to answer for us because if we need another human to prove to us that we are worthy of love or desire, then we have given them too much power because those are questions that God is meant to answer, not a boyfriend, not a girlfriend, not a husband, not a wife. Each of us, whether we have had 20 relationships or none at all, whether we are single or married, lonely or overwhelmed with company, God tells each of us in scripture that we are made in his image for relationship. We are seen, we are known, we are understood, we are delighted in. No partner, no date will ever be able to meet our deepest need to know who we are and that we are worthy of love. That is something only God can answer. So, dating is, I would argue, an important process and not something to fear. It can be full of excitement, fun, adventure, even as it brings all kinds of new risks into our lives. What we have to hold to, I believe, is that we have been made for relationship. It is in us to build great relationships. Even if the templates from our particular family or our history have been bad. But to build and to work out those great relationships, we need the Holy Spirit to show us how. Not our culture, not porn, not advertising or movies. And we need each other to learn from. We have to work this stuff out together and in company with God. Relationships that are truthful, that are honouring, that are not selfish, that are faithful, in which we're willing to be seen and known, have to be done with a community that can help us to navigate the tough moments, the endings, the wounds, the indecision, 
even the practical questions around boundaries. So you have what you need right here in this room to find your way through this community and God.